Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Kidnor, founder of leading Australian podcast agency, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. We all know that sometimes rejection is redirection, and for today's guest, failing is figuring it out. From a family business in India to launching the multi-million dollar eco-friendly packaging company, Envopap, Koshal Shah's slap-in-the-face moment shocked him off one path and onto another, the right one. In today's episode, powered by Shopify, Koshal shares his story of founding Envopap, how the sustainable packaging company is helping to save trees and resources, and how you can still build a successful business that has a massive positive impact on the planet. For those of you who haven't yet posted about our podcast on your socials, or if you're new here, Please do take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, peers, without further ado, welcome, Corshell. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you. I'm very excited as well to be here and talking with Michelle. Amazing. So, you know, you and I recently connected and when I looked into you and all of the amazing work you're doing in the sustainability and kind of green finance space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Always here to tell my story and how what we're doing to make an impact on the planet. And if we can find anyone in conspiring, it would be a great one. Sure, we definitely will. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, Koshal, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm Koshal, um, founder and CEO of Envopath. We are based in London, headquartered in London, and we make sustainable packaging. 
and we make this packaging out of the waste in which is generated in india so i come from india and i'm very passionate about agriculture number one but two at the same time packaging because i was born in a family which has been in the paper and packaging space for 55 years growing up learning the techniques and the industry processes was dinner and lunch conversations but one thing which i was always passionate about was agriculture and in india we generate about 370 million tons of uh, waste which is of agriculture which is in it every year on earth and uh this usually get burnt or then dumped and farmers already make don't make enough money in india because of their farming activities by selling their produce so it's an extra added expense on them to remove the waste from the farm fields and take it to a proper waste management practices so it's easier for them to burn and that's what we wanted to solve two things one air pollution crisis because of the stubble burning in india Number two was giving farmers and sugar mills an extra income because we buy it at a fair price from all uh, all the waste we buy. So we use waste of sugarcane, wheat, rice, and then we're continuously researching to add more and more different crop wastes in our supply chain. And then we take this pulp, this we take this waste and convert that into pulp, and we add standard paper making chemicals and we press it and dry it on paper machines which have been using wood pulp or recycled pulp for making their paper so finish of our materials is very paper like and that's what we really want to do make it a plug and play product integrated into the current print packaging and plastic replacement sector and that's what we do we create very uh, plastics and wood fiber based replacement packaging using agricultural waste in a nutshell so cool coachal You know, when I was looking into you and your business, I just, oh my goodness, I just couldn't even believe it. it has such a social mission to it, you know, and I can't wait to dive deeper into it. But before we do, I'd like to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, you know, what was it like growing up in India? And, you know, how do you think that impacted the choices you've made in your life, in your career so far? That's a good one actually. So growing up in India you know uh, I think you you often uh, hear stories and you uh, see photos of uh, agriculture because it is an agricultural dominant country so for me my life was all about uh, growing up in farms but at the same time because being from a family background we were quite involved into business as well from a younger age uh, but at the same time we I could see that there's some interconnected problems which can be solved through entrepreneurship and that's something which i have been trying to really pursue uh more importantly i've also seen i think we in india try to reutilize a lot we always find ways of repurposing and that was quite the motivation so uh, for us using you know reutilizing the waste of agriculture comes from to me personally comes from my grandmother because we used to make she used to make uh curry or some kind of pickle with the watermelon the green thing which is left of the watermelon the peels so a lot of these home practices actually inspire on a long term journey and then how we can solve social problems through entrepreneurship and that's something which i was sent to england to study and that's yeah, the result of which is an enrollment 
That's so fascinating about your grandmother, I think. You know, so much of the choices we make as adults and as we grow older is it does often stem from our childhood and, and what we were doing in our family. You know, what was your childhood like? You know, you said that obviously business was a massive part. You know, you always had that discussion with the family business of 55 years, but also with your grandma. I mean, what was that time like for you? And I guess, what did you learn? What was, the, I guess, one of the top things you learned about yourself during your childhood? I think I've had a lot of failures in my childhood. Yeah. My dad taught me one very important thing. Failure is the first step of success. So until unless you're trying hard and aiming for your success, keep failing, doesn't matter. But make sure that you give it 100% every single time. And that's something which I think has stuck along for a long time. In Also in my childhood, I think uh, I'm not much into education. I really wasn't very... Uh, didn't have the right grades. <laughs> Whenever I crossed 70%, it was like a party. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, growing up, I, <laughs> growing up, I think my, and my family being a lot into sports and a lot of other circular acti- curricular activities, I think that's what really made my childhood. Going out, eating some good food, traveling was quite a lot for us. So we traveled a lot of the countries. So good, could we see what is different and outside? Um, conversations. I think my dad. I feel very fortunate. My dad always took me with him with his friends. And at a younger age, it was really good for a young boy to you know, make conversations with uh, older adults. And uh, most of them were in business, so it was good to learn from them what's happening in their business world. Uh, what's the situation? Every industry is different, but uh, that played a huge part. Sports. I used to play badminton for the state, and then I also uh, really. Like I started playing golf at a young age. I think that's why I have white hair. So to, me, <laughs> to play golf at a young age. But that game teaches you one definite thing is it uh, teaches you how to behave. Overconfidence is really can kick you. And you have one good hole and the next hole you're going to smash a double bogey. And that's life. So that's from my childhood. Two learnings, a couple of learnings I've taken. That's life, hey? When we miss one hole, we get the other It's definitely also the journey of of business and, you know, entrepreneurship. I find it so interesting. So, you know, as you left your childhood and and into your teens and then young adults, I saw that you studied at the University of Pune in in India. Um, I think it was a business administration. And then I saw you do a stint at Harvard and then your master's degree, as you mentioned, global entrepreneurship at Southampton in the UK. You mentioned that you didn't really enjoy education, like learning, like 70% was good enough. You know, how did you manage to make it to Harvard and then, you know, do your master's degree in in the UK? Can you talk to us a little bit about that time there as a young adult navigating the education and all the studies? Um, So in Pune, I did my undergrad in international management. And while I was doing that, I was also working in my family business getting real life practical experience. I started working there when I was 17. I just finished my 12th grade and I was like, there's nothing much to do. Instead, let's start going to office. And I think that was the start of the journey. Um, Quite involved into business activities was what I was doing at work was actually what I was learning in school and which was awesome. So uh, sometimes I had more better knowledge than my classmates. And that's something which I really... uh, liked because I was learning and practicing what I, I was learning and doing what I was learning. 
uh, more than when I moved to the US, I did a summer school. So I did two courses. I did emerging markets and then I also did electronic commerce strategies. Uh, two different courses, but both which I can relate to now. Right during that time, I was also doing a Microsoft certified system administrator course, which is called MCSA. And not a lot of people do that. I was crazy enough to do it because I thought I wanted to be a software engineer sometime. And I started doing that and it's a four level course. And once you get into it, you want to complete it. So it started with that. And then when, uh, Howard was quite different. So I just wanted to test and feel education in the US. And so I went there, did two courses, didn't really like much uh, the whole atmosphere in the US. And I was like, man, England is better. Let's go back to England. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I landed up in Southampton. Southampton was quite special, actually, because one of the uh, articles and case studies we did was written by a professor called Dr. Pavan Tamada, who was in Germany at that time. But he was recruited by Southampton to be a director of a course, which was the new course which I did. So I got in touch with him uh, and we got friends and he's like, you know what, later this year, I'm going to Southampton to do, uh, be a director for this course. This is the course and it might be interesting for you. I was like, yeah, it's quite interesting. I applied for it. Fortunately got into it and rest is, you know, we have been in England for the last seven years. Mm. I find it so interesting as well, the, the dynamics of the different countries and the energy when you're trying to figure out who you are, what resonates with you. You know, you mentioned you wanted to be a software engineer at one point. You know, for our peers out there listening who maybe feel like they're confused about what they want to do, you know, maybe they want to be a software engineer, maybe they want to be a lawyer, you know, or maybe they just want to be, a, you know, have a, own a hairdressing company. Like, how did you get clear on what it is that you actually wanted to do and how can we do the same? Like, how can we figure this out? Uh, I got a slap in my face. That was clear. <laughs> it was not from anybody. It was so uh, in India, we have this, this uh, you know, education system where you have to select your streams. If you want to do software engineering or any kind of engineering or medical background, you have to select the science stream. And then the other stream is commerce, where get, which gives you access to business and management side. And you can do arts, which gets you access to mathematics and a variety of economics and uh, liberal arts studies. So I selected science because I wanted to be a software engineer. And that is something which I wanted to do while I was 15 year old. Uh, so I selected my 11th, like level 11 uh, as science, did that. The year 12 is what defines you. And if you pass with good grades, you get into an engineering college or then anywhere in the, uh, outside. So I failed my 12th grade. And apparently it's a board in India. So it's a board exam. It's a very big deal. And uh, results are published in news and stuff like that. It's a big one. And I feel that. So that was a slap on the face that this is not for you. Yes. Engineering takes a lot of hard work. And I don't think I was ready at that time, not for the hard work, but I don't think I was mentally ready to be doing so much of uh, non-practical education. So um, I made the choice. I was like, now it's time to move. Let's move from uh, software engineering ambition to business management. And that's why I moved my studies. You know, you mentioned that sometimes you need a slap in the face to really figure out what it is you want to do. You know, for those of us who are plodding along, you know, we didn't have that big slap in the face like you did in year 12 that was like, this is not for you. It's like, everything's fine. You know, we're in a job, we've done our university, whatever it is, but we don't feel like we're doing perhaps in the right industry or what we're doing is actually for us. 
how can we navigate through that when we're confused about what is for us? Yeah, I think I've I took some time to really find my purpose. Uh, I kept moving from purpose, and it's good. It's you have to keep moving and chasing because if I didn't have moved, I don't think I would have found happiness today. And uh, that's how I believe. And I think I need to keep chasing better and bigger purposes and bigger dreams. And the more I chase, the more I would want to educate myself or learn and grow in that segment or sector. So I, that's one thing I have it very ingrained in my life is dream big, dream hard, uh, bigger, but make sure you do it right, following conscious leadership. How do we do it right? What does that mean? Uh, that's why you become a B Corp. <laughs> that's why we are a certified B Corporation. You make sure you take all your boxes in the right way, meet the high standards. What if we're scared? Was there a time? Every day, aren't you? Yeah. Every day. So hard. <laughs> so scary. <laughs> Man, we're in a pandemic. You can't fly to any other country <sighs> without doing 10 tests and thousands yeah. of forms. And then if you mess up one digitally, they tell you to do it again. <laughs> Isn't that scary enough? How do you get up? How can we get better at getting up and, and continuing when we're scared and we can't see the way through? I think that's where... Um, Mindfulness really plays a huge role. And uh, so I do practice quite a lot in the team. We have now a mindfulness coach who comes and coaches our team at Envoy App. And it's very important for me. It has been extremely impactful. And that's why I want to make sure that we uh, uh, extend it to our team members. And it's important that we also understand each other, how we all process and perceive things. So with a lot of practice, and I think if you can achieve not confidence over your fear, but being uh, not fearless, but having enough confidence that you can get it right. And you won't do it fearing, but you will do it with confidence and passion. And that's the jump, which I think it will take some time. But if you keep med- you know, practicing meditation or um, doing something which you really love and over the period, of course, I think it comes along. So, so interesting. I want to dive a bit deeper into the story you know so you're doing your masters you're in the UK it's all happening and you know unlike most who make the decision to go out and start a job or whatever it may be I think it was in your final year or semester in the UK you ended up starting your business Evopap could you talk to us a little bit about that decision there and where the idea for Evopap really came about um, so before I was leaving for the UK, I had something in mind that I want to do business in the UK when I do that. So I had this fascination that I want to go to England, start doing my master, but also find a way to get connected to the business ecosystem in a way that I can get my family business internationalized and we have something in UK. So that was all, always on the back of my mind. Never thought I would get into something individually directly. So I came here, went for a lot of workshops, seminars um, in the industry, paper and packaging. And uh, interestingly enough, I found a lot of the companies are moving away from plastic. But the next nearest alternative they're moving to is wood fiber material. Now, wood fiber, firstly, plastics is already bad. We all know, we've all seen, we're an era of uh, David Attenborough age. So we know what are the impacts of plastics. Uh, but wood fiber also, we're cutting down approximately 1.5 acres every second. 
as of today, still cutting down for manufacture of paper and paperboard. I was like, so how does that make sense? We as humans don't even think correct. We are solving a problem with another problem. And how stupid can that be? And that's where the idea of Envopap really came in. That, okay, we have a lot of waste in India. Stubble burning is a problem. How do we get those people together, make that into a business model, and use the infrastructure and the knowledge and learnings of the family business in the paper and packaging space to create a product which is recyclable, biodegradable, or marine degradable, offering multiple end of life. And that's the vision and mission of the business as well, is how we've done it. And that's literally the story of how the idea came in. It was a funny one because when the idea came in, it was just me. I was in second semester, went back home, Easter break, uh, sat in front of my family. And I was like, this is what I want to do. Make paper out of agricultural waste. And uh, so at first, everyone was quite you know happy that there's something coming up. There's something new. Uh, but my grandfather was very clean and clear. He's like... We'll give you enough time until what the government has given you, the, your visa lasts. So until your visa lasts, build something which you can make into a profitable company. If you can sustain your expenses, more than happy to stay. If not, it's a good stint. Come back and then you join the family business. So I had a clear timeline. I had from April 2015 to January 2016, which is about close to nine months. And boy, we did it. In October, we got our first order. Uh, which was from an international business, and we made some money, I think. And that's after that, they never asked me what are my finances and where am I into <laughs> it. <laughs> oh my goodness, I absolutely love that. I think, you know, for our peers out there listening who perhaps they've given themselves a timeline, they've got this idea. It's been brewing. We've been sitting at home during the pandemic and some of us have lost jobs, you know, and we're like, we're going to give ourselves a year to make it happen. How can we make it happen under that time pressure and also everything else, family pressures, outside pressures, like where do we begin and how can we stay calm and actually perform under pressure? Um. I don't perform good under pressure. That's one thing I <laughs> have to accept. I think one thing I've learned from my past and the mistakes in my past is I try to juggle too many things and that really doesn't work. So if anybody is juggling too many things, man, telling you from experience doesn't work. And it's a very naive experience I have, but still it doesn't work. So we, I literally started to focus. I think the more focused we are, the better results would be. And uh, so if you are giving yourself a timeline, make sure that you're giving yourself a timeline when you know that you're focusing on it 100%. Don't juggle too many things and then give yourself a timeline because you haven't really exploited the potential of the opportunity or the idea to its 100%. Then giving a timeline definitely makes sense. And I stick by it. I love that. At what point during those eight months or nine months, you know, did you ever have a point where you just thought, oh my goodness, I can't do this. I'm going to end up working for the family business. It's not going to work out. You know, I'm going back home. I'm leaving London. Like, was there ever a point like that for you? And how did you navigate through that? Um, I think one or twice, but um, that was when money was out. Uh, London being London is expensive. Uh, my parents did give me a, you know, some seed funding and some funds uh, to stay in the country, but it ran out very quickly. 
and that time i was like what do can i do and that's where i think airbnb played a huge role in my life so i used to give my house on airbnb made a wow. shitload of money in that uh, and <laughs> we survived a good long and which was also in mopap's office the first office was inside a studio wow. where i was uh, sleeping that's where airbnb happened that's how we paid our rent maybe <laughs> So I think we found a way to survive and I think times like those keep coming keep keep coming now also but I think the stage gets different and the the way you manage that fear or issue gets different as well. How can we get better at managing the different stages of fear? Ah oh, that gets deep. <laughs> so fear is something which you know uh it takes time but i think taking small steps every day uh to improve that uh, is comp- uh, that's something which i start with uh mindful with mindfulness you also learn about manifestation and manifestation is really really uh, you know miraculous i'll just say it's miraculous in uh, everyday life um and in terms of fear it's all about confidence right your biggest fear is uh, having low confidence that's my biggest fear i think if asked at any time what would be my biggest fear it's having no confidence to embrace the potential of what i want to be or uh, even uh, to whatever i can dream of if i don't have the confidence to dream or be embracing the potential of what i want to be that's my biggest fear and uh, to overcome that i think we need to accept what's the present and look only for the future and patience plays a key role in this whole thing. So well said. Oh my goodness, I'm absolutely loving this. So I want to talk a bit about the progression of Everpap. So you know, you're in your Airbnb, you're renting your place out, it's your headquarters, it's someone's bedroom, it's your bedroom, you know, it's the, it's the company's live and well. What happened after those nine months, after your first deal? And what were those first few years like? You know, how did you build up? Um, so first few years, yeah, of course, it was all me alone um, as, as in the business. So that I didn't have a co-founder, so being a sole founder. Uh, started. It was quite a lonely time, to be very honest, in business because you always want somebody to talk to, somebody to learn from, somebody, and being in a different country. But I think uh, having an international base—that's something which I decided at a very young, uh, early time that if we do build this business, it, we have to be international from day one. Uh, in the first year itself, I think we were exporting to six countries: Turkey, Netherlands, uh, in Africa, some parts of the Middle East. So, uh, in Three first three years, I think we crossed twenty five countries, and that's something which I really feel uh, made a huge difference. If we were in one location, we would have focused on that. But then, if we because of the international strategy, that helped us get into multiple countries. And uh, one thing which really collided with that was traveling, and I really love traveling and going to other countries, doing business, but then at the same time exploring different cultures. So early times was. Promoting the product, trying to convince a market which doesn't believe in sustainability at all. Carbon credits and carbon footprint or LCAs didn't really matter that time because nobody knew uh, anything about it. It was not the buzz. Uh, it was still early on. Green tech was buzzing word in uh, CSR, corporate social responsibility, but not as a proper 
uh, ESG um, directive or mandate. Uh, so it was still fairly new. And in that time, I think we have got some really good customers who played a huge role in making Envofab bigger. If they wouldn't have put their hard-earned money and really believed in the idea and the vision that time, we wouldn't have been here today. And I am really you know, appreciative of them who really said, hey, you know what, this is the right thing. This is the right material to use. If I'm going to make my boxes, I'm going to want to use your material. If I'm going to use my burger packaging, I'm going to use your material. So a lot of the do the right thing people and customers and you know partners and supporters have made Envopack progress to what we are today. It's absolutely fascinating. And what was that, you know, after the three years? Was it, I think you're in year six and a half or seven years now. You know, what does a business look like after those foundational years? And as a solo founder, you know, did you find a bit of a tribe at all with the team that you brought on? Or, you know, what what was that journey like for you? In terms of the team, it's a trial and error, right? Yeah, it's like... A marriage, even, you know, the country, company is getting married to a team member. So you have to try. You have to try different options. Uh, every time, not every time, you're going to have a, uh, sometimes it's going to be a cultural misfit. Sometimes it's going to be a work style misfit. Or sometimes it can be a company state misfit. So a lot of factors, but to get the right team, I think it takes time. And today I know that we, I'm very happy with the team we have. Uh, we've got everyone covered. We have a flat structure and everyone's very passionate and uh, everyone knows their why when they wake up in the morning. It's not to, you know, have a good job or a decent, uh, good pay or job, but to be purposeful when they end the day. And that's always what is even important for me as a sole founder. If I can welcome multiple people coming along and make sure that their purpose is fulfilled by the end of the day, I think we've got a great team today. What if we don't know our purpose and our why? How can we start to break that down and figure it out? I think all starts with, you know, five things. Why do, do I want to wake up in the morning? What do I want to achieve by the end of the day? By when do I want to get to one situation? It can be, you know, by, by end of December, I want to lose 15 kilos. How do I want and then it's uh, what resources. So if I start with these five, literally every day, one minute it takes me to think about the whole day and live each day by its day, it's on its own and achieve those small, you know, small targets, small ambitions or daily ambitions, weekly ambitions. That really helps a lot on the long run because that's when you can long plan your long-term projects. It's all start with small projects. So, so valuable. Oh my goodness, Koshal, I could speak, we could speak for days, but I am mindful of your time. I've got a couple final questions for you. And the first one is, what has been your greatest failure and win to date? I think uh, understanding people, I trust people way too quickly and easily. And I don't know. That has, uh, you know, backfired sometimes, wait too many times, and in the, even in this year. So that's still my greatest failure. I'm still not being able to, you know, understand people. And that's where now, you know, contracts play, of course, a huge role. So now it's more protected. Your ass is more protected, of course. But then still, yeah, I think one of the greatest failures I still believe is I need to have a better hand on understanding people and, uh, you know, learning more about 
what they perceive and how we can be better at receiving them. Greatest win? Win? Um, I think when we crossed 750K, uh, half a million was the target. Yes. Uh, but then we crossed 750K. So by every... Uh, by moving every uh, wood fiber product to envelope app material, we sell a certain amount of trees. So today we are at 913,000 trees. I had a target of 500K by year five, and then we had already crossed that to 750. So that was quite, and that was my first aim as, at, uh, you know, when I started venture into it, I was like, I want to cross half a million trees. I want to save half a million trees. And that's my passionate target. I want to keep in five years. We crossed that to 750. So I think that's my biggest win. Oh. Absolutely incredible. Wow. Oh my goodness. Rochelle, you know, over the last six and a half years in business, you've really gone from strength to strength. You've done so much, as you said, you know, like this goal is so incredible that you've already reached it and surpassed it. You've done so much. You've also received a lot of recognition for your work. Most recently you were featured on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. What are three key pieces of advice that you give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? Mm. Higher slow, fire fast, first one. Um, no, very uh, specific on that. Um, use money as an instrument of change. This was something which uh, Chamath Palapitiya, he um, used to work for Facebook he said in one of his interviews and I was like yeah that's actually a good one I am want to I would really want to make sure that I use the money I raise uh, the capital we raise as a business in the right as an instrument for change making change on individual life social lives environmental change or even people change and uh, most important was you know uh, be, the world is run by a very few so the more patients we have the better you know, optimistic lifestyle we have going forward. So patience is key for everything. I'm very bad. I'm trying to learn every day to get better. You're doing so well. So, so well. Oh, look, Rochelle, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing for showing us, and particularly us, you know, ambitious millennials, that if we have that vision, that goal, and that dream, we actually can turn it into a reality, regardless of how scary it is every day when we wake up. It can be a reality, and for that, we really appreciate you. No, thank you. Thank you so much for calling uh, and inviting to your podcast. It was an absolute incredible time to go through the last six years. I think that's a good good morning. <laughs> <laughs> good morning, memory. And I, I think I had a lot of fun. I look forward to the final version when it comes out. And thank you. Of course. My absolute pleasure. The final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? Three things. Mental, spiritual, and mind health is all stable when I'm pursuing my passion. I love it. Ah, Kushal, thank you so, so much. We really appreciate you. Your wisdom is so, so valuable. Where can we learn more about you and Envopap? Uh, you can follow us on social media. We are Envopap on all Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. And you can follow me on LinkedIn. Perfect. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again. And for everyone else listening, 
we will end with that. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest beer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs>